Welcome to the Sermon B-Side Podcast, a podcast of Liberty Church in the Harrisburg region of Central Pennsylvania. Sermon B-Side is designed to be a resource to answer your questions and to go deeper into the conversation started by each week's sermon. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another week of the Liberty B-Side Podcast. My name is Steve King. Alongside me is Matt LeMoyne. Matt, Welcome to the No Banter Liberty B-Side Podcast. Business only. Let's get no. right down to just the facts, ma'am. Just the facts. Ma'am. Just the facts. <laughs> well, that's like, is that like what they say? I think that is maybe what they right? say. Like, uh, We're already bantering. Dragnet? Yeah. Listen, you're going to be really bored without the banter, but I'll try I to wasn't calling some- you a ma'am. I realize why you asked that question now. That's, <laughs> like, the, that's like the old, mm-hmm. you know, that's the old saying from like Dragnet and all these shows. <sighs> just you know, the facts. Police Squad. Liberty B squad, B side, that squad. Just the facts. B side, B Just squad. Just the facts. Yep. Here we go. No one believes this is the no banter podcast. No, we're, I mean, I make no promises and I make no apologies. Okay. Gonna, oh, there it is. Yeah, we're gonna banter sometimes. Okay. And you can fast forward if you want. There you go. You you, you have the freedom. The this power is, is in your hand to hit fast forward. That's true. And you could also listen at whatever speed you want. Yeah. Which you do. Yeah, which we do. And um, well, no, I'm saying you do. When you listen to podcasts, you listen to them on like. I am a one and a half. Speed. Guy. I never speed up. There are people in our church that speed up significantly really faster fast. than that. But right. I'm a one and a half speed guy. Okay. So if you want to speed up, you speed can, up. You are I well, bet. I bet our banter is funnier when it's sped up. If it sounds a little like a chipmunk, it's always funnier. Always funny. I mean, if, it, <laughs> okay. if you get into that octave range, it sounds really funny. <laughs> there you go, uh, Matt. We continued in our sermon series yesterday. First John chapter four verses one. So now we're in chapter four. Yeah. First John. We tipped over into chapter four. We've been in this series now for. Uh, a couple months. Couple months, couple yeah. months at this yep. point, right? Yeah, We've been to it. Yep. Um, you preached yesterday. Give us maybe the summary of the sermon from yesterday. We got a couple questions in, so we'll get to there. Yeah. Right. But give us the summary of the sermon from yesterday. Yeah. So John has talked several times in this letter about the Holy Spirit. He ended chapter three talking about uh, how much of a gift of of assurance the Spirit is. That the Spirit. Greg Greg preached a couple weeks ago, and he used that that framework of uh, look in, look out, look up. And the look in part was that we have the Spirit of God dwelling inside of us. One of the sources of assurance we have is that the Spirit is with us. And that, that, that gives us confidence that we are united with Christ, that we do abide uh, in God. And so in following that up at the beginning of chapter 4, and of course there are no chapter divisions in the original letter or verse divisions. It's just a letter. True, just like letter. we would write a letter without numbers, you know, di- differentiating chapters and verses. This was a letter in its original form. He immediately follows up that thought with... Um, hey, but not all spirits are from God. Right. You've got to test the spirits. And it would seem that, at least from the, the specific opponents that John is, is contradicting in this letter, um, that, that what, they were, what they were teaching was deceitful enough that it was drawing people away. And that the, the original readers, the Christians reading this letter from John, were being uncritical and kind of accepting anything that had supernatural power behind it or that kind of had that same weight that that the apostles' message had, or felt like it did. Yeah, they were accepting that uncritically without testing the spirits. And so he said, "Man, the Holy Spirit is an incredible gift of assurance, but there are spirits that are not from God, and make sure you test them." And so the two criteria that he gives in the in in this passage that we unpacked yesterday were confession and reception. Mm-hmm. Confession: what is being said. The, the human medium that, that a spiritual power is working through, what is what are they confessing and specifically about Jesus? And reception, uh, who is listening to that? Which What group is is listening to this word, uh, 
the, this confession and affirming it. Mm-hmm. And so we just kind of walked through those those kinds of things, tried to bring a little bit of more practical uh, application into it. Um, I, I would have uh, kind of opened it with this idea too that if that if and closed it, maybe bookended it with this idea that if John's original audience would maybe be uncritical and would be more prone to, to accept anything that had weight or authority or had supernatural power behind it as coming from God. I think most of the people part of Liberty Church in the 21st century in central Pennsylvania would be more on the other end of that extreme and be hypercritical and not actually develop familiarity and fellowship with the Holy Spirit, with the genuine article. And that really, if we're going to know the counterfeits, we have to be more intimately acquainted with the genuine. Uh, We actually have to embrace fellowship with the Holy Spirit and and accept and, and receive and even cultivate the gift it is to be indwelt by the Spirit of God and all that that means. So I wish that John went more into that aspect of it here. Yeah. Um, he, he goes more, he talks about confession and reception. He doesn't talk about spiritual gifts. He doesn't talk about um, even other aspects of what the Spirit of God does in terms of being our helper and bringing conviction of sin and all kinds of things like that. But I, that would be a, a, maybe an overarching uh, theme and an encouragement to folks as you talk about this in your Bible study groups is um, what does it look like to cultivate fellowship with the genuine article, with the Spirit of God, mm-hmm. the third person of the Trinity, so that we have that much more ability to test the spirits and know what's not of the Spirit of God. Yeah. Yeah. Good summary. And I appreciate that note. You said that at the beginning of the sermon, uh, we can best re- we can best recognize counterfeits when we're just more familiar and intimate with the with the original source. Yep. Yeah, that's great. I thought that was a great picture for that you kind of unraveled from there. Yeah. 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 So a couple questions came in. Great. Um, and so let, let's this question is is kind of on that first part uh point that you the confession okay right yeah. and so um you had asked like what's it mean for us like we may there may be some among us who have supernatural experiences mm-hmm. that we have to discern on what is coming to us supernaturally um maybe most of us will not have supernatural experiences so some may most probably won't mm-hmm. there is this everyday discernment we need to be giving two messages around us yeah. um, and one was here's an everyday example when there are messages and confessions that are rejecting the full divinity of Jesus. Yeah. Um, and so here's a question that came in. This person said, you, you said that a, a lot of mainline denominations are questioning the divinity of Jesus. Can you provide examples of this in my experience? Those who I've spoken with have always recognized the divinity of, Je- divinity of Jesus. Where they start to go amiss is with the Father and the Atonement. It seems as though they struggle more along with your second example of how can a loving God kill his son slash send someone to hell. The, Just, the asking so, questions without answering them. Yes, that's the yeah, that's right. That's, that's the second part. part. Yep, yep, that's right. So to that first part, yeah, and and that's a really good question and probably could have been more clear yesterday in the sermon. I also think it's important to differentiate between the clergy and the congregation of mainline Protestant churches. Uh, it tends to be that the clergy is much more theologically progressive and liberal and has abandoned some core tenets of the faith. And that a lot of congregations in mainline denominations are actually still faithful men and women that do believe in the full divinity and full humanity of Jesus. Yeah. Uh, and would make an Orthodox confession. It seems like the clergy is the one that's moved faster and more departed mm. the Orthodox confessions. Yep. So that would have been one clarification I wish I would have given yesterday. The main example in my I think this, this does exist certainly in, and even maybe it's helpful at some point to do like, what is a mainline Protestant denomination? Yeah. And, and, and historically, that, that comes from what's called the World Council of Churches, an ecumenical body that gathered together you know, across the, 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 the world to say, we're, we're churches that all believe in Jesus. We're going to do some stuff together. 
um, increasingly had concerning doctrinal tendencies and, and trends kind of playing out within it. And so in the 70s, the Lausanne uh, Covenant, Billy Graham and John Stott and a bunch of other folks that are more in the evangelical part of the Protestant movement shifted away from the World Council of Churches. So kind of since the 70s, if you're called a mainline Protestant denomination, it means you're still anchored to the World Council of Churches. And if you're not a mainline Protestant um, denomination, if you're a more theologically conservative Protestant denomination, you would be more lining up with the Lausanne Covenant and the Lausanne Congress. You know, the, the yeah, that that statement and, and um, doctrinal convictions. So you can look all that stuff up online if you want, but that's maybe a helpful grid to, to know where that's coming from if you're not familiar with it. Um, one primary example for me, anecdotally there's a handful, but... Uh, where, I, where I went to school, where I did my undergrad, uh, was at Texas Christian University. And back uh, when it was founded in the 1800s, all the way through the 1950s, it was uh, associated with the Disciples of Christ denomination. It's sometimes just called the Christian Church, but it's the Disciples of Christ denomination. Yeah. And um, was, a, you know, uh, for many years, a, a faithful, uh, historically orthodox uh, denomination of Christians, it would be part of that World Council of Churches, the, the mainline Protestant denomination. Um, they, uh, and I don't know, I don't know the whole history of that denomination, but um, in the 70s, 80s, and on on into the the time that I was there in the early 2000s, uh, key members of their faculty that in the Divinity School, um, they they had cut ties. The denomination in the school cut ties in the 50s. Uh, but they still had a divinity school. They still trained clergy for that denomination on site there in Fort Worth. And um, key members of that faculty of the divinity school were part of what was called the Society for a Historical Jesus, mm -hmm. which uh, went through the Bible essentially. And they used, so in a lot of our Bibles, the words of Jesus and the Gospels are in red. And you kind of go through and you read the Gospels and that, and you know, they, the, the editors of certain um, translations of scripture have made the words of Jesus red to say this is what Jesus said. The Society for Historical Jesus, uh, they would go through and kind of use a color coding system and they would say, okay, red, these are things Jesus definitely said. Uh, pink, these are things like he might have said, but we're a little bit suspicious that he said them. Hmm. Gray is like, we're pretty sure he didn't, but there's a small chance he did. And then they would actually take some of the words attributed to Jesus in the Gospels and actually turn them black um, and say he definitely didn't say this. This mm. was this was purely legend that 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 his his disciples attributed to him. Jesus didn't actually. So any of his claims to be God, those were at Take best away. at best yeah. gray and probably black. They were right. like he didn't actually say that. All his disciples attributed that to him later. Jesus never made a claim to be God. He he in his own self awareness was not God. He was just a human man, a human teacher. That there's an example of uh, a mainline Protestant denomination departing from an essential doctrinal conviction yeah. uh, and, and essentially, and in subtle ways, beginning to say, well, it's not, Jesus certainly said some of this stuff and some of it's recorded faithfully, um, but some of it's not. And we're, we actually now have the ability, you know, this is an arrogant, presumptuous thing to say. We have the ability now, 2,000 years later, to go back and actually say, hey, apostles, you made this up. But this part's true. We right. will give you this one. Right. And any, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus certainly said that. He had the ethics of like that. He was going to call people to be generous and love poor people. And that was that's, that stays read. But any of his claims to be God, uh, to be sent from the Father, um, to, to go away and send the Holy Spirit after he left, those would, those would be, you know, questionable and now turned into a different... Yeah, that's where subtle becomes not so subtle. It's not I mean, so that's, subtle. That's quite, that's quite a change. It's not, yeah. yeah. 
So that's that's one example there, and yeah. I think you can find you can find um, anecdotally, but you can find pockets of that show up uh, in different places. And I I do think it would be important to differentiate and say it tends to be more clergy hmm. coming out of seminaries associated with mainline Protestant denominations. Yeah that come out with a lot more questions that are not answered about the divinity of Jesus. Sure. And they don't lead out of a conviction, a full confession of the, of the full yeah. divinity of Jesus. Yeah. And I think it's helpful. It's, it's probably a good thing for us to remember uh, these two things, these everyday um, discernments we need when someone's rejecting the full divinity of, of Jesus. Well, they're not probably starting with that, right? So they, like in their words, there probably is something that's really subtle with the way they're speaking about Christ yep. um, and his life and and offering uh, Christ to others as a savior that they're just kind of undermining just the clear biblical teaching of his full divinity, yep. right? So no one who wants to be a false teacher leads with saying, hey, by the way, what I'm going to say is going to break apart from tradition, yeah. Right now, please listen to me. They don't, they, you know, they, they don't mean to say it that way. And, and they, he, and they would still, from a tradition standpoint, say a lot of things that were faithful. Correct. That's, that's where right. even the words of the liturgy. That's what makes it subtle. A lot of other pieces are, are, are probably in line. But if pressed, if saying, "Did Jesus really rise from the dead bodily?" Right. Maybe. Uh, right. Right. Spiritually, yeah. Right. Maybe physically. Right. You know, they, like there'd be things like that that yeah. would be if you prep, but in the. It wouldn't necessarily be obvious in the prayers and the liturgy and the songs that are sung. Maybe if you're listening really closely to some of the sermons and homilies that are preached, you start to pick up on that. You start yeah. to certainly pick up on a theme of more moralistic yeah. kind of That's teaching what I would say. and say, yeah. like, here's things to do and here's a way to live in light of how Jesus taught us to live. Right. And, and it would be more the omission of like, but they're not actually saying he's... God, right. or he's the Lord of the universe, and That's right. we owe our full allegiance to him. He's just. He becomes more of an example than a, than a Savior and Lord. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's where you, if someone has the experience of wanting to go to a church where the gospel is preached each week, that's probably what people are looking for. For sure. Not just a moralistic message of how to live a better life, but actually rooting um, our issue in sin, complete yep. separation from God, of which we are to be held accountable in the yep. atonement covering that. No, nope, that's right on. Yeah. Well, you mentioned um, in there you were kind of referring to the apostles going back and kind of changing what the apostles said. Leads yeah. us into our next question. This question, a couple questions came from this person. They actually did compliment on the sermon. Love that. There's there's a message on um, spirits and how they mm -hmm. infiltrate our lives, right? Yeah. And so the spirit of God, but then also uh, spirits that are leading us astray, leading us from the teaching uh, of God. Um, as is shown in his revelation. And so this person appreciated the message, um, just recognizing the way in which Satan is involved in our lives in sometimes subtle not some, and sometimes not so subtle ways, yeah. these spirits that we need to discern. But they asked even a question, can you explain the difference again between apostle with a capital A mm. and apostle with a lowercase a? Just You, you mentioned that you used the word apostle a couple times yesterday, yeah. just from clarity on that. Yeah, so apostle with a capital A, and th this is not um, in the Bible specifically. So this is just, a, and that's a, it's a good point of clarification, so I'm glad this person asked. Um, it's, if you look in, in scripture, it will be lowercase a everywhere. So don't, if you look for it in the, in scripture, you won't see it there. I, I, and many others, this is, I've taken this from other people. I'm not smart enough to come up with this on my own, um, have differentiated and said capital a apostle are 
the eyewitnesses to Jesus. They, there's an actual criteria there. And maybe the best place to see it in scripture is when they're replacing Judas Iscariot and they're looking for a replacement early in the book of Acts mm -hmm. to replace him. They give some criteria, like someone that's been with us since the beginning of Jesus' teaching and ministry, someone who's seen him since he rose from the dead. Um, capital A Apostle is a very limited number of people that actually walked with Jesus during his earthly ministry and, and especially who saw him yeah. uh, risen from the dead. So the Apostle Paul, for example, is the... And he even talks about how he's the least among the apostles. And he means capital A, you know, the mm -hmm. way I use it there. He'd be the least among the apostles in that he was born in, a, you know, who was born in an untimely manner, he says, like in Romans uh, or 1 Corinthians 15. That, and he appeared to Paul last of all as one untimely born. Right. So uh, 1 Corinthians 15 and early, and early in the book of Acts are good places to see the criteria there. That's capital A apostle. Lowercase a apostle um, is actually a spiritual gift. And maybe a calling in that sense where uh, Ephesians 4, uh, Paul, capital A Apostle Paul, mm -hmm. writes in Ephesians 4 that, that Jesus gave some to be, and there's five different kind of offices, gifts. It's a little bit debated on, on what exactly these are, but apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher mm -hmm. in Ephesians 4 who lead the church in a, in a variety of, of ways. And so that's more about a gifting and specifically, a lowercase a, a apostle or lowercase a apostolic gifting is someone who has uh, a calling on on their life and gifting from the Spirit of God to go start stuff. Yeah. Uh, to be a pioneer of <clears throat> sorts, to go to places, to see something come into existence that didn't exist there, like a church, yep. to raise up other people to to other men to serve as elders, uh, and then to to move on. And there's a there's people like there's a lot of church planters. Uh, would be considered, at least in my view, lowercase a apostles. Mm -hmm. They have the ability, a lot of missionaries that go into to places where Jesus has not yet been named, have that apostolic gifting, lowercase a. So that's the differentiation between yeah. the, the two. Yeah, super helpful. Thanks for clarifying that. This person asked a second question then. Okay. Um, so uh, in communion, and, I, and I'm, there was something that you mentioned this during the message. We always are teaching always leads us to the communion table itself. So in communion, you state there's nothing quote unquote magical right in our communion so in transubstantiation view of communion uh, where the bread and wine actually become the body and blood of christ as a catholic tradition um, is there a spiritual element there this person asking and if so is it godly or is it other mm, yeah that's a great question so it's yeah, a big question <laughs> a, Ro a roman catholic view of communion transubstantiation would be that the the literal body and blood of christ become present you say the words of institution that they become the body and blood of christ and yeah. then you you consume the, the literal body and blood of Christ. Um, a, a Presbyterian view, or I, it's broader than just Presbyterians, it, Calvin was one of the main ones that articulated it during the Reformation, was to say uh, there's something more than just mere memorialism, mere remembering. We're not only right. remembering that Jesus did this for us. Right. Um, there, but and but Jesus is spiritually present. There's a there's a unique way in which we experience our union with Jesus because there's a uh, a unique kind of um, grace that is given when when communion is received by faith. Yeah. And so that's Calvin's view. That's the view that I hold. That's the view that I would teach from when I in our, in our elders would when we institute communion. We would right. say it's more than just remembering. Right. Uh, here, there's something more um, happening here in communion. So this person's asking. Well, what about in the Catholic yeah, Church? Right. Is there like, and, and it's probably coming out of this sermon too, like is there like an evil or demonic spirit behind that? Um, I don't know if I'd be comfortable going that far to say that there's an evil or demonic spirit behind it. Because I would also say that, that 
as much as I disagree, and I would say that I have, I would put a lot of what the Catholic Church teaches not in the overt heresy side of the equation. I would put it in what I would call a systemic error um, kind of equation. Uh, there's a lot of overlap, particularly in our Christology, uh, our, our, our doctrine of Christ and who Jesus is, between uh, the Roman Catholic Church and Protestant churches. Like, we, we believe in a triune God. We believe in the full divinity and the full humanity of Jesus. So I'm pretty slow to call the Roman Catholic Church heretical uh, on many things. I think there's systemic error um, and substantial disagreement that I have about it. Yeah. And I think in the same way that I'm reticent to say they're heretics in the Catholic Church, I'm also reticent to say it's an evil spirit um, underneath it. Um, so I think if it's, um, I think it's worth leaning into and understanding what Scripture teaches about communion and, and about that, that sacrament of communion. The Catholic Church is going to take tradition and the, the teaching of the, the leaders of the church, the magisterium as it's called, and they're going to incorporate that into their view, which is where transubstantiation comes from. It didn't yeah. come from Scripture itself. It came from tradition and from the leaders of the Catholic Church. But, um, but I would be slow to say that it's automatically an, you know, an evil spirit uh, influencing that. I would say more systemic error and that the Catholic Church too closely associates the grace of God with the act of receiving communion. I would say that people who are mere memorialists, who only see remembrance in it, I would say they don't associate the grace of God enough, enough sure, with yeah. it. And I yeah. think, and I would say that's where Calvin threaded the needle beautifully and biblically, more importantly, yeah. biblically, to say there's more than just remembering here, right. um, but it's not the <clears throat> physical body and blood of Christ. Uh, we we are Jesus is spiritually present with us in that meal in a way that he is uh, uniquely given us an opportunity to, to experience assurance our union with him the things that I was sharing yesterday yeah, yeah that is a good question I can't recall if we've gotten a lot of questions like that one even in our covenant class and it doesn't routinely come up yeah um, you know I think our community either has a has a clear understanding of, of where we are on that and our and our beliefs um, mm -hmm. or they don't just haven't asked enough questions it's a good question that's come in it'll, it'll push people that come from more of the Baptist backgrounds in our church yeah because um, Baptists and it, there's a range with yeah the Baptist sure. too but but you're more likely if you're a Baptist if you have that background to come from you're comfortable saying this is a remembrance. It's a memorial. Jesus says, do that's this right. in remembrance yep. of me that's right we're remembering that's and right. that's all we're doing yeah where if you're coming from more the you know the kind of Presbyterian background grid that I come from, other kinds of um, other kinds of different Reformed denominations <clears throat> or tribes. You know, you're seeing remembrance. You're also seeing anticipation. Jesus will come again. We'll feast with him at his table. Yeah. I think everyone agrees with proclamation. This is this. We do this, and you know, we proclaim his death until he comes, like we say in communion every week. It's this fourth part of participation. Are we participating in our union with Christ mm -hmm. in a unique way that we aren't? All the time. That there's right. a there's a unique way we get to do that in the sacrament of communion, right? Uh, and the sacrament of baptism, for that matter. But but the weekly, the regular, ongoing one of, of yeah. communion, that's the that's the more debated point. Um, but one that I think is really beautiful and is a means of grace that God has given us to be strengthened in our faith and to experience regular assurance. Yeah. In a physical, tangible act that has deep spiritual meaning and effect. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Well, it's a good question. Glad that question yeah. came in. Um, you had mentioned already some of the Bible study questions or some thoughts for Bible studies to consider yeah. um, coming this week. So, uh, friends, be sure to check out 
uh, that resource that uh, already has been sent around that I'm sure you have access to. If you don't, always always let us know if you can't find the link that has um, some Bible study questions and prompts, things for uh, ways you can go deeper in those those connections this week. Yeah. Um, and Matt, just chart us forward a little bit because here we are. We're in. We're now in the fourth chapter yeah. of First John. Where is the series? going as even where it's may 1st here it's, yeah it's may may 1 today we've got four sundays left in first john so we'll be in first john through the end of may uh we'll wrap up uh first john and then uh early june the first three sundays of june we have kind of a mini series that actually the liberty communion of churches is all doing at some point this year a little bit different time frames for different churches but it's just going to be a uh a sermon mini sermon series about about really why we're here who we are as the liberty communion and we're going to do a sermon about living a sermon about speaking and it's about serving as the very presence of Jesus. That's our... Uh, live, speak, our, and serve. Live, speak, and serve. That's our, our vision statement that we have, yeah. our mission statement at Liberty. So we'll do that for the first three Sundays of June. And then uh, the last Sunday of June, uh, up through Labor Day weekend, we're going to get to do a series on prayer this summer. I'm really looking forward to that. We'll teach through prayer. We'll also encourage uh, the people of our church, you, you all who are listening, uh, to do more prayer uh, communally with other people. Mm-hmm. A lot of us have disciplines of prayer in our private individual lives, but more communal prayer, uh, like well-rounded prayer. It's not just our asking God to do certain things, but are we actually adoring God in our prayers? Are we, are we, uh, being thanks, are we expressing thanksgiving and gratitude in prayer? And then also some things that are more in the historic spiritual disciplines, um, including like silence and solitude and prayer and fasting and some so things that actually, um, are ways that we are that we cultivate more of a lifestyle of prayer, yeah, individually and, and communally. So that'll be part of our series for the uh, the summer. Too. Yeah, we're looking forward to that. Thanks everyone for joining us today. Uh, each week, as you have questions uh, for the podcast, please send them our way Sunday afternoon, evening, or Monday morning. We always record these as as often as we can um, on Monday mornings, Monday yeah. morning. So yeah. thanks for joining us this week. Enjoy the rest of the week, everyone. We'll see you on Sunday. Yeah, take care, everybody. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Sermon B-Side podcast. For more resources and information about our church, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org.